It's the year 2021, and the church is acting like it is 2019. That's the last year there wasn't a global pandemic. One year into this gig, we are doing our best to help the church into a post-pandemic future. We are Zoom pastors for our landline church. This is the Millennial Pastors Podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Pastors Podcast. My name is Eric Parker. And I'm Courtney Reedman Parker. And in today's episode, we are talking transitions. By now, people are starting to realize that the church as we knew it pre-pandemic is not the church that we are returning to. We're in the midst of a period of transition. Transitioning from online uh, to in-person. Transitions of people and leadership transitions of priorities and ministries. So let's get started. It's been a while since we did this, right? Yeah, we kind of took a little unintentional break through the chaos of Lent and Easter and maybe a little bit of pandemic languishing along the way. Uh, but I'm sure we're all there in that spot. But maybe maybe we'll call it the first half of season one, the first 10 episodes, and then we can do the, the second half of season one here with the next 10. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. It's good to be back. It is good to be back. And it's good to be talking about ministry and all the things that are coming our way as leaders in the church. All the things. So today we are talking about transitions, and this was born out of, again, some conversations with other colleagues and and just looking around and seeing sort of the church coming through this time. It's been 14 months of pandemic, long enough that we have had time to transition out, to linger in and or transition into pandemic from non-pandemic. We have had time to linger in pandemic, and now... We are looking at transitioning out, especially as uh, vaccinations are well underway and we're starting to measure what percentage of populations are being vaccinated and checking daily to see if our age group is finally among those (laughs) able to get vaccinated in our area. And so it's not (laughs) not today, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, probably not tomorrow. Cue the theme from the littlest hobo. We'll get there eventually. We will, but not today. But we are seeing transitions and different different aspects of transition change from one thing to the next, moving from one state to the next. And thinking about transitions in the church, I think, is going to be really, really important uh, going forward in the weeks and months and even years to come as we come out of or find a new normal of this, uh, whatever comes next after this acute pandemic world. And so the first area of transition that, um, that you and I had sort of observed and talked about was the move from uh, mostly online to more and more in person. And really, this is a transition that goes back to the beginning of the pandemic from basically being, for most uh, church communities, most congregations, being entirely in person with very little online to going to almost 
fully online uh, worship and communication to throughout the past year, maybe there has been some move towards in-person, in-person but limited, but finally now, maybe in the past few months and maybe in the months to come, uh, a steady move towards in-person ministry alongside the online. Even as here where we are in Manitoba, we're back into the third wave lockdown that just started yesterday, but we are moving even still doing that moving to some version of more in-person things. Uh, I mean, we're thinking. I feel like we're in the thinking about when we can do in-person things again in Canada. For most of Canada right now, presently as it stands. There's a light at the end of the tunnel that we can see. Versus six months ago, there was who knows how long this is going to last. That's true. I think it helps that we're moving into summer and we know what a pandemic summer looks like. I think it helps that we are having vaccinations, jabs in arms. And so we know what the realities for vaccinated people might be. And I think part of it, too, is that we, we are knowing that, um, you know, now that we have vaccines, now it's going to be, what are the things that we're going to adapt to and what are the new normals that we're going to find going forward as society and then as the church. Yeah, I think there there was at the start of the pandemic certainly a sense of we're doing this until, right? We're doing this online stuff until we can go back to normal. Yeah, I think we avoided, I think we were actually trying to avoid making it a transition. It was just a temporary thing that wasn't going to affect us. And then we would just go back to where, what things were before. Sure. And 14 months in, there are still people that want to do that, that are still living in that world. There are still people who are living in that world. Yes. Who I think are are grieving, understandably grieving what we have lost. Yeah, grieving what we lost, but also maybe there's a a reticence or even unwillingness to admit where we are, and and what we must be now. It's it's more than just grieving what we were, but it's wanting to go back to isn't, and return to what we isn't were. Isn't that though the first stage of grief is denial? <laughs> yes, that's the first I, stage of grief. I mean, I wonder though, in all seriousness, that the grief that that some are experiencing when we think of the loss of we're going to say church as we as we knew it is that it's like when somebody you love dies very suddenly and without warning versus when you have time to get ready for your grief and your loss it doesn't mean that you don't grieve but you do grieve differently i'm thinking of the the feedback that i'm hearing from from people both colleagues and church members alike who are really struggling with what has been lost and not maybe understanding why 
right? That there's, it's not just denial, but there's some anger in that too, right? Like, what was... Isn't that the second stage of <laughs> what, what was wrong with the way that we were doing? Why can't we go back to what we were doing, right? Why do we need it to, to be this way? Why do we need to do it both ways, right? Why, why do we need to have online a company in person? Why can't we just give it up? Right. These are yeah. some of the the struggles, and not that those shouldn't be conversations that we have as as church and as congregations, as individual communities to to think about what ministry is looking like and what it will look like. Right. What will your priorities for ministry be? What are the capacities that you have, both with your staff, people, and volunteer and bandwidth, right? All of those things that go along with anytime we make decisions in ministry. I I hope that we're having those conversations about not whether we can do it or whether we should do it, but, you know, does this fit with our priorities for ministry as a community? I mean, I think on some level, this is an acute version of what the church has been in a lot of places dealing with already like the refusal to acknowledge that the world has changed and therefore the people that the church serves the people of god have changed in the way that we engage in the world right there's no putting the internet back in pandora's box there's no even putting online services back in pandora's box for every person that thinks that we can just turn off the live stream, there's 20 more who are expecting that it's going to be, you know, there forever now. And that's the hard part, right? Because sometimes those 20 others are maybe not as, you know, or have been people a little more on the outside of communities or aren't, aren't uh, who are finally accessing for the first time. And whereas the person who wants to put the live stream back in the box is experiencing maybe an equalization where they were living in sort of a world of privilege before, a world of, you know, this is, this is how I get to experience church, and this is my preferred way. And now that's, you know, my preferred way is not the way that church is, or at least it's not the only way that church is. Sometimes we have a really hard time sharing or allowing others to also be a part of an access to right so i shared a, a tweet over social media last week from kate boyd who tweeted churches as you rush to get back to normal don't forget to ask if there was anyone there for whom the normal wasn't working in the first place and that's part of what we're getting at in this transitions piece yeah, I think we made we made a move uh, out of necessity, one that I think a lot of people welcomed and other people found refreshing and other people saw the opportunity to engage faith and church in a different way. And and now it's just, you know, yeah, there's no going back. And and I think online ministry in that sense, right, allows more possibilities, allows greater reach, allows us to connect with members who are, you know, on vacation, not that anybody's going on vacation these days, but also people who are sort of far away and, and not 
wouldn't have been considered to be possibilities to be part of our community before, but now are, you know, right there in worship with us week after week for quite a while now. Sure. Well, and I know both of us have noted that it is not when our services premiere on Sunday mornings that we have the majority of our engagement. There's a core group of people who are at worship for our premiere every week at 11 a.m. But then there's a whole bunch more people who watch throughout the day on Sunday and who then watch through the week. And I know that, you know, people have have commented about how helpful it is um, as shift workers or as people who like to take advantage of the morning or maybe like to take advantage of sleeping in in the morning um, that there are. There is greater accessibility um, when you are not limited to an event happening at one specific time in one specific place. Yeah, absolutely. Like just just the possibilities are so tremendous. I think one of the things that we'll we'll quickly observe and notice now is how pondering going back to an in-person only ministry will really feel like we're going back to something that is missing something, right? Something that's lacking. There's something that an opportunity, a resource, a tool that is just right there for being used, you know, in an in-person only context will just be missing from what ministry could be. I also think that the church has had this strange opportunity to, to basically try both extremes in the past, uh, the past year to go from in-person only to online only, and maybe in a good way to show us what we're missing in an online only context, right? That, that, the, that the in-person, the connections that you can only really make, the experiences you can only really have as you gather together as an in-person community, as a congregation, are, have been missing from our gatherings too. Not to say that there aren't on- online-only communities out there in the world, but most local congregations will not survive as online-only communities and will need to go back to some sort of in-person gatherings. Sure. I mean, there are definite um, burdens, right? Just as there are benefits, there are definite burdens to being online-only and the, and the pieces that we, that we miss. And as you were talking, I was, I was thinking of, um, an organization that I'm a member of, the Young Clergy Women International, and we have a group on on Facebook, and it's just an amazingly life giving group for for me, especially in a denomination that has very few uh, young clergy women. But it really was not until I met up with some of my colleagues um, at the Festival of Homiletics a couple of years ago that I, I really felt more connected to these women that I had interacted with, some of them online, um, but was able to develop um, friendships that have now continued online because we're separated by geography. Um, but I don't think that those friendships would have developed without the in-person interactions right it would have stayed at a very surface level collegiality and and so i think we can all 
um, think of times when our our in-person experiences have enhanced how we interact with people online and also in the ways in which our online experiences help us to then interact with pieces that happen in person, right? That they can, they can work together rather than being mutually exclusive. Well, yeah. And I think that um, the way that we might look at in-person ministry without any online components or very little and see how that is missing something and missing like almost a fundamental opportunity and tool for outreach and connection communication that an online only ministry we would also see as missing a fundamental tool and opportunity and resource for connection and communication you know there are there are certainly communities out there that will be in person only some will be online only but the vast majority are probably going to have this two two-sided context right where they do some mixture of both because that's where most of us live as human beings we live in this this world that's constantly slipping from online on our phones on our computers to to in person and sometimes both at the same time but but we're constantly sort of living in both worlds um at the same time or or quickly switching back and forth between the two and that's what the church most churches most congregations to to really meet with the people that we call our own and the people that come to us that's the sort of ministry and world we're going to have to inhabit uh, recognizing that there'll people be people all over the spectrum accessing us and, and connecting with us in different ways yeah and i think the the maybe the last piece to talk about um in terms of the transition from mostly online um to you know moving transitioning back to in in person is that it's not going to be the same as when we started right it's not like turning on and off a light switch of we're either online or we're in person um but that we start integrating those two together as we realize that it is actually about doing both and and there are some practical um reasons and reasons out of necessity like we are under public health orders that limit the number of people we can have meet in person right and so needing to still have accessible worship or programs for other for for others who aren't able to be on site um, but then recognizing like, oh, how long has that actually been true for that? There have been people who haven't been able to, to be here for whatever reason. Um, but that it's actually possible for them to do so, whether it's worship or Bible study or a council meeting or whatever it is. Right. And I think being mindful of the fact that the transition into pandemic and pandemic ministry certainly felt abrupt and sudden and quick, like a, a light being switched off or on. But the transition out is going to be opposite. It's going to be slow and stuttering and starting, and it's not going to work sometimes. <laughs> and we're not going to know the way. We're not going to be able to figure, okay, we're going to jerry-rig some iPhone to record church. That's how we're going to get out of this. Like, No, it's going to be very confusing and hard 
As which is where to... the church shines. <laughs> yeah. Which is where the church shines. No, but I mean, I think helping people be aware that it's not going to be this sort of immediate transition like it was into pandemic ministry. Absolutely. Out of pandemic ministry. I mean, it's like, you know, World War One for our neighbors to the south in the United States, basically, World War Two rather, started on, on uh, you know, um, one day with the bombing of Pearl Harbor, right? But the end of the war wasn't like it just ended when everybody surrendered. Soldiers stayed overseas for years afterwards, and it took it took another five more years to really get out of you know the effects of World War Two. And so, in in many ways, that's what pandemic is like. It's like it starts, but then it's going to take a long time to to end and get on from it and we won't be the same people that we were when it all started as we are when we come out of it absolutely which is a good transition to talk about the transition of people in ministry Right. So that's, that's, I think, one of the realities that is maybe hard to acknowledge and hard to admit is that people are going to transition during this time. Just like, you know, just like any span of 14 months, every community is going to have transition of people, just the normal ones. So that's like the base level of transitions. But this huge societal once in a lifetime uh, thing that we're experiencing is also going to be reason for all kinds of people to transition in and out of communities and in and out of different roles among us. And so I think that um, this transition of people is something to be aware of and for communities and congregations to really to be think of and not be surprised by when it happens. I think what happened during the pandemic is that for most of us, the world got a lot bigger, whereas our own personal little worlds came very small. And I think for a lot of us, what we want to go back to is our own little personal worlds getting big again, and the rest of the world getting smaller. But that's a really hard perspective shift, a really hard thing to experience when you are used to sort of we're all guilty of it, living in our own little bubbles, thinking about our own little things, and not worrying all that much about the rest of the world around us. That's probably, you know, a pretty <laughs> privileged thing to say, because there's certainly lots of folks out there who can't help but have their bubble encroached on by things going on in the world. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> true. But I'd also think it's very human that we all have our little bubbles, or whatever they may be. And the pandemic has really sort of popped them and said, hey, no, this thing, this thing is going on for everybody, whether you like it or not. And you're going to have to think about everybody, whether you like it or not. Yeah, it doesn't actually matter if you want to. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not something like so many other things that happen in the world that impact people. Right. They are impacting people who we know and who we love on a daily basis and 
for many of us, especially those of us with multiple layers of privilege, we can choose to put it in a box and just take it out when it suits us. Oh, it's time for my committee meeting. So now I'm going to unbox my, you know, social justice pieces. And then I'm going to put them back when it gets, you know, a little bit too uncomfortable or the meeting is over and then I won't, won't think about them again, right? And it's been harder to do that. And not only because of the pandemic, right? I mean, we could list item after item um, and experience after experience and tragedy after tragedy of things that have happened just in the last 14 months that we can't turn away from or we shouldn't turn away from. No, exactly. You know, it's it, when our bubbles have been popped, right? When you don't have the, the surrounding protection of our own little bubble world bubbles, you know, the death of another unarmed black man at the hands of cops, right? <laughs> when, when your bubble isn't insulating you from that, all of a sudden you realize that that's a big deal, right? When, when thousands and thousands of people are dying while uh, a handful of people protest in the street over the idea of wearing a mask, well, when you don't have a bubble to insulate you from the nonsense, that stuff affects you more, right? <laughs> when you have a, a an election of a of a narcissistic <laughs> old white guy who cannot who cannot think about anybody but himself, um, you know, basically putting the fate of the world uh, in the in 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 very much his hands, you can't help but be affected by that and think about you know what's going to happen. And so, yeah, we've been. With, with our bubbles popped, the world encroaches on us in ways that are so uncomfortable and so difficult to deal with. And, and so with these changes all around us, with these, um, these big things affecting us, the, the, I think people are stepping back and saying, do I want to do this anymore? Do I want to be part of this? Or stepping forward and saying, I think I want to be a part of this. I want to do this now. And so we, we come to, as congregations and communities, transitions of people, right? I think that a lot of communities will expend basically all their social capital as leaders and, and, and congregations or leaders and communities just navigating the crisis, while others will come together, sort of like in the movie when when two characters go through in movies, when two characters in crisis go through something together and sort of grow closer. I mean, the movies usually usually fall in love after hating each other, but but you know, people who sort of go through crisis together draw closer. Um, I think a lot of people who probably were stuck in leaderships of in, in positions of leadership and responsibility pre-pandemic might see an opportunity to finally set that down you know in the midst of pandemic and other people who um who have been on the margins for a long time all of a sudden might be drawn into the center and drawn into to positions of leadership and responsibility and so these transitions are going to happen all around us and people are just say hey i i, I have found you and want to be part of your community and other people are going to say I've actually been wanting to leave this community for years, and now is the opportunity to do it. 
And so I think the transition of people is something that is just going to happen during this time. And and it might have already begun, but I think as we transition back or towards the new thing, um, it's going to happen more and more that people are going to sort of make those choices and take those stands and say, okay, this is, you know, I don't want to go any farther or I want to get involved, whatever it might be. Because this has been a time where people have reevaluated their own priorities, right? In their, in their life, <laughs> in their faith, in their relationships. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that the, the spike in divorce rates through the pandemic is only just because we get annoyed with our partners being in lockdown together, right? I think that it's shone a light on for people of like, is this what I want from my life? Well, and if we've all been stuck at home, it's not just that we've been stuck at home together. It's that this is a new world where everybody is going to spend more time at home. We aren't going to be gallivanting all over the planet. We aren't going to be, you know, eating at restaurants every night. We're not going to be sort of out and about the way we were. We're going to be more homebodies for probably a generation or two, if not forever, right? It's just going to be more ingrained into us. You know, I was listening to, I was listening to uh, the Social Distance podcast from The Atlantic Magazine. And they were talking recently about the fact that, you know, <laughs> COVID-19 is a talking disease. <laughs> and so it's spread by people talking to each other face to face. But so is influenza. And I don't know about you, but I've liked not having influenza for the past 14 months. After having it almost every 14 days in the six months prior to the pandemic. And so, you know, I'm, I'm ready. And so one of the suggestions was was maybe every winter we all wear masks inside. I'm not disagreeing, because all I can say is it's been really lovely to not have the children bring home every germ and disease for the last year. Like, not just COVID-19, like everything that they would bring home that would then be transmitted to the whole family one by one. Right, so we're transitioning to this new world that we don't fully know yet. And, and I think the transition of people in and out of our communities, in and out of different roles in our communities, is going to be a really surprising thing if we're not ready for it. But if we are ready for it, maybe something that we can manage better and, and give people permission to you know, step back or step forward, whatever that might look like. We're going to take a step back and we are going to hear a word about our sponsors. The Millennial Pastors Podcast is made possible by a grant from the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada. The Manitoba Northwestern Ontario or MNO Synod is one of five synods of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada or the ELCIC. The synod covers 54 congregations in Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario and Brandon, Manitoba in the west to Thunder Bay, Ontario in the east. From Morris on the U.S. border to Thompson, Manitoba, bordering on Canada's north. With a baptized membership of 17,000, the MNO Synod is headquartered in Winnipeg, Manitoba. The Synod serves 54 congregations through the Ministry of the Bishop's Office 
and working in the areas of youth and young adult ministry, missions, outdoor ministry, social justice, ecumenical relations, stewardship, and guiding ordained ministers and congregations through call processes. The MNO Synod can be found online at mnosynod.org and on Facebook and Instagram. Check them out if you want to find a congregation in the MNO or if you want to know about their work. And check out dictionary.com if you want to know what the word synod means. All right. Thanks, MNO Synod. ministry what's that transition gonna look like i mean i think the ministry is going to be one of the fundamental transitions for churches and for for communities of faith right you don't say (laughs) but why eric why is that going to be so fundamental well just like in all this stuff that we uh have been doing um, talking about so far that um, you know the things that were important pre-pandemic might not be important post-pandemic, and things that weren't important before have all of a sudden become very important now. And so there's going to be this reevaluation of priorities and this reevaluation of identities, um, who we are and what we're about is going to change, and also. Um, our capacities, right? What we what we can do or could do before might have changed. It's sort of the byproduct of having essentially our whole slates of personal lives and and you know a weekday ministries for the most part wiped clean and free from our calendars. It, you know we get to be choosy about what we put back onto them. Rather than just, okay, now we can do all the things we did before, let's do them. I have a feeling that people are going to be more choosy. I think there will be a flurry of activity when we get back. We're all going to want to go to restaurants as much as we can when we can. But we might never go back to restaurants the way we did before as well, right? Takeout and patio dining might be the future of restaurants. And so in the similar way for churches, right? What is it going to look like for us? There might be a lot of times that we do a lot more outdoor things as congregations just because that's the way we live life in this world. And we might not be doing face-to-face, you know, ministries where we're doing small groups (laughs) in small rooms inside. And we might not do, you know, outreach in the same way where we are really interacting with the people we're trying to connect to because it's not as safe and we're not we're trying not to you know spread germs to one another through our talking diseases like we were before so you know ministry is going to change just like everything else and to be ready for that and to start thinking about uh how it's going to change i think having to discern priorities really in every um level of our lives has been and will be helpful to uh, congregational ministries because it has forced us 
to think about what is important and to not take things for granted, right? Or not just assume, well, well, we do that because we've always done it that way. Or we can't imagine not having that, that piece of our ministry, even though, you know, we haven't had a functioning committee in decades and nobody actually knows what it means to do that or where the budget goes that we set aside every year in our annual budgeting, right? That it, it insists on thinking through all of the things that we're doing, which is exhausting, <laughs> right? It's exhausting to do that, but I wonder if part of the reason that it's so exhausting is we haven't practiced doing it. No, we've been, I think, going on autopilot for a long time as, as individuals, but especially as churches and communities, that they're often the reasons we have stuck with particular ministries, stuck with particular ways of doing things, have been more out of an obligation to the past an obligation to maintain the status quo, than to really look at the questions, does this work for us? Does it help? Is this what we need? And and now, those are the questions, those are the only questions we've been asking, I mean, not all of us, but most of us have been asking, like, is this safe? Is this helpful? Is this what we need? The pandemic has taught us to approach our decision-making with, I think, a lot more helpful tools rather than you know, can do we have to keep doing this because grandma thought it was important? Now it's, can we keep doing this and will it keep grandma safe? I know we've had conversations in clergy groups and um, with one another about the reality that there are going to be congregations and ministries that don't survive the pandemic. Right, that likely most of us knew <laughs> were on palliative care in terms of ministry, right? Um, but that this has really hastened that process. Um, but then again, that that I don't see that necessarily as a as a bad thing. It's hard, and it's hard for communities to have to come to that realization and especially not on your own terms um but ministry cannot only be about not closing yeah it's not all about survival it's not all about just you know keeping the doors open and lights on right in fact that's not ministry at all that's something else right right ministry has to be worthwhile right i think that's the other thing the pandemic has taught us is is how important is this to us that we do it at least i hope people have been asking that question which is really a question of priorities right when you get right down to it i mean that's what all these transitions are ultimately about is is priorities the transition of priorities is that we are hopefully coming to this time a time when when we are all being forced to reevaluate what's important, you know, what is important for the church, what's important in our lives, how do we make these choices about that stuff, right? 
I just think about how full people's schedules used to be, right? There used to be social engagements, kids, you know, dance and music and sports, and there would be volunteer commitments. And and our lives were just completely scheduled, like every day of the week. And then all of a sudden, it all just went away. And and yeah, some of it we miss, but I can't, I have to wonder, do some people realize like, oh, I didn't need to be doing all the things before, right? That my life slowed down is actually a better life than my life sort of on hyperdrive, working 60 hours a week and doing another 40 hours of extracurricular activities. Or not having time to do those volunteer commitments because you're spending eight hours a week commuting, which now you no longer need to do because lo and behold, you can do your desk job from home just as easily as you could do it from your office. Mm -hmm. Right? Absolutely. I think that people's priorities and the way in which they engage in the life of uh, the ministry of the church will also um, change and be be reprioritized as well through this transition. Yeah, I think that there. I think that maybe even one of the things that we can promote as a church is to encourage people to hold on to their slower, smaller lives. Right? That that this is these are lives that are maybe more. They're healthier for us, that we have improved quality. It's not all about quantity. I think we were living in a world that was a lot about quantity. How much, how much can we do? How much can we make? How much can we fit in? Rather than, is this good? Is this good for me? Is this good for the world? Is this good for us? Am I doing things that are good for the world? And, and so these priorities, these different questions, I think the church can really help people keep focused on that going forward and continue to ask these questions with people, be places where people explore these questions, right? I think churches have been guilty of, of doing quantity ministry over quality ministry for a long time. Absolutely, because when your priority is not closing, right, then you need to... Um, we we heard this last weekend in our synod convention. Uh, this speaker, Dr. Andrew Root from Luther Seminary, was talking about when churches just start pumping things out, right? Um, like they are, like they are, uh, almost like a convenience store, right, or a service provider. And so we're gonna offer all these things um, to try to attract people. And then, but we're actually missing <laughs> the main reason for for us to be, right? Um, and the reality is that the church likely is not going to be able to provide the services that people are looking for as as good as secular service providers, <laughs> right? Um, so to focus on the things that actually are in our wheelhouse, right? And the things that people are going to stick around for that they're not going to get anywhere else. I mean, I've certainly been guilty of that in my, my ministry. I remember 
in my first call when the congregation class um, was too overprogrammed to be able to find a time slot that worked for everybody because they all had too many things in their schedule. My solution was to offer confirmation at two different times of the week and people could choose. I shouldn't have done that. That was a that was a the wrong solution to that problem. When I really should have said, you know what? Without judgment, maybe this is not the right time for y'all to be coming to confirmation. <laughs> if you don't have time for it, I, I shouldn't my job isn't to sort of squeeze it in somewhere, but to help you realize that okay, if you don't have time for this, maybe it's not a priority. And that's okay right now. Your kid doesn't have to be confirmed at the age of 13 the world isn't going to fall apart they're not going to go to hell god's not going to hate you grandma might be disappointed but but <laughs> they don't have to be confirmed like right now and maybe they won't be con- confirmed till they're 23 but confirmation like the that's this stuff is important to learn but it's also important to care about and so learning about it without caring about it is sort of a point of pointless activity. And I think often with the church, our solution to these kinds of problems has been, you know, people don't have time, so we're going to give them more, more stuff to do, more options. I mean, that's not the solution at all. It sounds desperate and sad Mm -hmm. when you explain it that way. Truly. It does. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Thanks for saying I'm desperate and sad. I think on that note, it's time for us to wrap up before I dig myself in a bigger hole. Thanks everybody for joining us today. In your transition out of uh, out of pandemic, which might take a few years. So where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? People can find me on Facebook at Courtney Reedman Parker. I'm on Twitter at Reedman Parker. I'm on Instagram at C Reedman Parker. You can uh, catch what I'm up to in my congregational ministry context at Messiah Lutheran Winnipeg on Facebook or MessiahLutheran.ca. You can find me on Facebook at Eric Reedman Parker on Twitter at Parker Eric. You can find me on Instagram. I don't know what my handle is, but I'm there. You can also find the Millennial Pastor uh, podcast on and blog at themillennialpastor.net. The Millennial Pastor's podcast is made possible by a grant from Manitoba Northwestern Ontario Synod, whom you can find at mnosynod.org. The Millennial Pastors podcast is written and produced by us, the Reverend Courtney Reedman Parker and the Reverend Eric Parker with our theme song provided by Lutheran Outdoor Ministry in Alberta and the North, all other music provided by audionautics.com. This has been a couple of Zoom pastors for a landline church. We will see you on the other side. Bye for now.